Amen. Thank you, Meliari family. That's a blessing to my heart. Hey, folks, if you haven't yet written in and said, hi, we're online, we're watching, please do so. You can do that now. You can send it to office at gracebaptistchurch.ca or you can get on the chat program or send a text or however you want to do it. Send a postcard, but we won't get that today. But uh, do let us know. I sure love to uh, see the comments and it encourages my heart that when you uh, log on and say, hi, we're watching. Well, uh, it's less than three weeks till Christmas. That was it. I think earlier at the beginning of the service, I may have said it's three and a half weeks or something. That was a mistake if I said that, but it's less than three weeks, less than three weeks till Christmas. And it's time for us to turn our attention onto the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, I don't know about you, but uh, Christmas time this year really comes as a welcome treat in the light of this COVID this year, 2020. Boy, it's been a tough one. And we've had a lot of plans turned upside down and trashed, and we've had to reinvent ourselves. Uh, but praise the Lord, we get through it. He's never left us nor forsaken us. This month, I'd like to talk about the Lord Jesus and his nativity. And I'm going to start today, and I'm going to approach this subject from a bit of a strange direction. I want to talk about the two largest planets in our solar system. This has come to my attention this past week. And I thought the reason is for this message here. So let's have a word of prayer together. And then let's, uh, let's get into this interesting subject. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our loving father, we thank you so much that we can fellowship together Lord, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all of your people who are tuned in and watching right now. That really encourages a pastor. Father, I thank you for them. I love them. I pray that you'd bless them. Help us as a church family to increase in faith, to increase in our love and our, our times of prayer and Bible study. Help us, Lord, to let our light be be uh, uh, let loose and, and to shine before men. We pray for many opportunities to share Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Teach us how to do that. Now bless, we pray the message today and speak to every heart. Lord, if there be one heart of one soul watching today who does not yet know for sure that heaven is their home, please encourage them to turn their eyes upon Jesus. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you know the names of the planets? Some of you will. You'll be able to rattle them all off. Some of you might think, well, let's see. There's Earth. That's a planet, isn't it? I think that, that's Earth. I think that's one of them. Uh, I give up. What's the rest? What's the name of the two largest planets? What do you think? The two largest planets. I'll give you a second. All right, time's up. The names of the two largest planets in our solar system are. Say it, go ahead. Some of you are saying it. Jupiter, yes, Jupiter, that's right. And the other one starts with the letter S. No, it's not Superman. No, 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 that you're wrong. That's another sermon you're thinking of. Saturn, right, Saturn, Jupiter and Saturn. Now I have a picture 
to put up here. I want you to watch this very carefully. looks like marbles, doesn't it? But um, in truth, there you've got the, uh, the planets. There's Earth on the lower left. And you can see it looks like a little marble compared to Uranus right above it. But look at Jupiter above Uranus. Look at the size of that marble. And then to the right is Saturn. Below that, you've got Neptune. And then on the very far right, this tiny little dot is called Pluto. And so that gives you an idea of the, uh, the, the planets in our solar system. And uh, I, I just want to chat with you for a minute now. You can put the pictures away. I want to chat for just a moment on those two big rocks, those two big marbles you saw up there, Jupiter and Saturn. Now, Jupiter is the largest planet, and it happens to be the third brightest object in the sky. And um, Jupiter was, the planet Jupiter was identified way back as early as the Babylonian astronomers in the 8th century BC. And what they did was they named it after their supreme deity, their supreme God, Marduk, M-A-R-D-U-K, Marduk. That was the name of their supreme God. So they named the planet Marduk. Now, do you remember hearing about uh, uh, the Persian king Cyrus? Cyrus. Now, he was the guy who gave the decree that allowed the Jews to return home from Babylon. After the 70 year Babylonian captivity, they were allowed to go back home. King Cyrus was the one who granted, you know, permission for them to go back. Now here's something interesting. According to the historians and the geologists and geographers and all of those, those people that there's a document written by King Cyrus and King Cyrus attributes, he accredits the sending of the people home. He accredits that to Marduk. Now that's kind of strange, but apparently true. Here's what he wrote, translated into English. It says, Marduk, the great Lord, established as his fate for me, a magnanimous, a magnanimous heart of one who loves Babylon, and I daily attend to his worship. I returned the images of the gods who had resided there in Babylon to their places. And I let them dwell in eternal abodes. I gathered all their inhabitants and returned to them their dwellings. End of quote. And so words by the Persian King Cyrus. Interesting. Now, after he was gone, the Greeks came to world power and they renamed the planet after their supreme God and deity, whose name was Zeus. You've heard of Zeus. And then when they left, the, the Romans came to world domination and they renamed the planet after their God of supreme deity, which was Jupiter. So now you can see how we get the name Jupiter for that, that uh, planet. Now the name Jupiter is actually mentioned in our Bible in the New Testament in the book of Acts chapter 14 and chapter 19. It's mentioned three times. Now in Acts chapter 14, this is interesting. In the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, the word in Acts chapter 14 verses 12 and 13, the word is the Greek Zeus but it's translated into English as Jupiter. 
Now you know why. It's, they're actually one and the same. Interesting, isn't it? Well, now that's enough for Jupiter. Saturn. Saturn is the second largest planet in our solar system. It's the one that has the prominent ring around it, made up of bits of rock and gas. The planet Saturn was also known by the Babylonians, and they named it Ninurtra. N-I-N-U-R-T-R-A, Ninurtra. And it was after their god, Ninurtra, the god of war and hunting. By the way, the historians, they associate Ninurtra with the more ancient Nimrod, which is also mentioned in the Bible, god of war and hunting. So when the Romans came to world power, they renamed the planet Saturn after their God of wealth and agriculture. Now here's something that maybe you didn't know. The Hebrews would name the days of the week by, by number. So first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day, they called the Sabbath or the rest. It was the seventh day. They called it Sabbath or Shabbat. The Romans came along and they named the seventh day Saturn's day after the planet Saturn, Saturn's day, or as we know it, Saturday. That's where the name Saturday comes from. That's interesting. But just so that we keep things in perspective, I want to show you another picture here of our sun. So put that up now, would you please guys? There's a picture of our sun. That's that great big ball that looks like an orange. There's our sun. And look at it in relation to Jupiter and Saturn. Look how puny and tiny Jupiter and Saturn look. And by the way, if you, I don't know if you can see it on your, your, your internet the, the device there. But uh, from the left, you count Jupiter, Sat, well, one, two, three, four. And the fifth is a little tiny, tiny black dot. You can hardly see it. That's Earth. That's where we live. And look at the earth in comparison with the size of the sun. Isn't that incredible? Wow. But, but just to get the broader picture, I want you to observe the size of the sun in relation to two other planets in our, in our big universe called Pollux and Arcturus. Now put that picture up, would you please? There, there's Arcturus. It's the one on the right. It's so huge. And then Pollux is much smaller, Sirius. But then look at the sun on the far left. Look, it just looks like a tiny little pea, doesn't it? In relation to the Arcturus. Like that's how big some of these planets are. Isn't that incredible? And folks, if you know Jesus as your savior, you're going to visit these planets one day. You'll get to actually walk on their surface and fly around them. And you'll get to learn all kinds of things about them. But just look at the difference in size. But now, before we leave the, the uh, universe, just to be fair, I, I want you to see the size of Arcturus. That's the one on the right. I want you to see it in relation to the two largest planets that we know of. And that's Antares and Betelgeuse. Uh, I, I said it right, Betelgeuse. So put that up, would you please? There's Betelgeuse on the right and Antares on the left. And I'm not sure if you can even see it. I don't imagine you can. But underneath Antares, 
there's some tiny little words and an arrow and you can't really even see what's underneath the arrow. I don't think it, it's so small, but that's our sun. That's our sun. And remember the earth is just a tiny, tiny speck compared to the size of the sun and the size of the sun. You can't even see that it's so small in comparison to, to this planet Betelgeuse and our heavenly father made all of these planets and stars and he put us on earth. Wow. What a wonderful heavenly father we have. Amen. Not only did he do that, but he sent Jesus to earth to die for our sins upon the cross. Now scientists tell us that Jupiter orbits around the sun and the earth once every 11.86 years. So almost once every 12 years, they tell us that Saturn orbits around the sun and the earth once every 29 and a half years. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, that's very interesting, but so what? So what? Well, the so what is that Jupiter and Saturn going around the sun and the earth are actually going to come into alignment on Monday December 21st, that's two weeks tomorrow. They're going to come into alignment and they're going to appear as if it's one big planet out there. Now, something else about the so what is that the last time that these two planets lined up was in 1226 AD, March the 4th, 1226 AD. That was the last time those two planets came into alignment. So if you happen to have missed the alignment in 1226 AD, and if you happen to sleep in and miss the alignment in two weeks tomorrow, you could be waiting a long, long time before these planets ever line up again. Well, some people have suggested that the aligning of Jupiter and Saturn making them look like one huge star, one huge planet. Some people have suggested that when these two planets lined up 2000 years ago, that that was the nativity star that the wise men followed. They're, they're trying to come up with the answers and reasons and excuses, whatever, but I think they're wrong, wrong because of the description that the Bible gives us concerning the nativity star. So I don't believe the nativity star was Jupiter and Saturn lining up at all. Not at all at all. Some people will grasp at anything, I suppose. But this idea of these two planets, the two largest planets in our solar system, lining up. I think that's very, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. And I got to thinking, it seems to me that the wise men, 2,000 years ago, the wise men align themselves with the direction of the nativity star, whatever direction that star was going, they were going to align themselves and follow that. And it seems to me also that with the two largest planets in our solar system, lining themselves together around Christmas, by the way, it just seems to me that it might be a smart thing. It might be wise for God's people, for Christian men and women to start aligning themselves with Jesus Christ at Christmas. 
It might be a smart thing to do. You see, oftentimes Christians go astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. And just because we're saved, it doesn't stop us, prevent us from going astray. And maybe some of you watching today found yourself going a little bit astray over the past few months. Now that COVID's hit, some Christians have just eased off the good habits that took a long time for them to build. Now it's hit and miss, hit and miss. Sometimes they're on, sometimes they're off. Boy, I tell you, I sure miss the days when we could gather as a church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday. I sure miss the days when we could have our church programs and we'd pack the people in here and have a lot of fun. I miss those days. And I think that COVID is partly responsible for some cooling off of some Christians. So maybe it's a good idea for us to align ourselves with Jesus here at Christmas. And so let's take a look at this, but first let's look at the wise men and see what they did. Now, do you have your Bible open at Matthew chapter two, Matthew chapter two, Verse one, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to see that the wise men aligned themselves with the will of God. This is the first thing the wise men did was they aligned themselves with the will of God. It says in chapter two, verse two. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east. The wise men had spent a long time studying the stars and planets. And they recognized one that was new. It, it had never been around before. That's why it, it can't be the aligning here. It was different from all the others. This one moved. You see the wise men here, they recognized that there was something spectacular, supernatural above and beyond what they had ever seen before. And these wise men knew there was a God above. And so they aligned themselves with the will of God. The will of God for them was to follow the star. Say, how did they know they were supposed to follow the star? Weren't there other people who saw the same star? Why didn't they follow? I suggest it wasn't God's will for them to follow, but it was God's will for these wise men to follow. How did they know this? One of three ways, or perhaps all three ways. Number one, by diligent observation of the stars. They carefully, like scientists, observed and wrote things down. <clears throat> Many people believed they had access to glass lenses. They certainly had the invention of glass back then. And many people believed that they learned how to pour molten glass into molds and discover, hey, it makes things far away seem a little closer. Now, I know it was Galileo who supposedly figured out the first modern telescope, you know, to look up there. But the ancients were smart people. They had the invention of glass. They may well have been using that to look up at the stars and the planets, but they studied very carefully the stars. Number two, 
They also had access to the Old Testament scriptures. Yes, they did. They had access to the writings of the prophets, the Psalms, the writings of Moses. They had access to all that. And they were carefully, diligently studying. Of course, also, don't, don't forget there was divine revelation. And God could have just spoken to them in a dream also, or a vision of the night or something. But the third way I want to suggest to you is that these were men of prayer. You say, how do you know that? Because you don't come into the presence of Jesus and worship him and bow in his presence and worship him without being a, a person of prayer. These wise men were, why do you think they were wise? Is a very smart thing to pray. A lot of people don't pray enough. A lot of Christians don't pray enough. Did you have your prayer time today? I hope you did. I hope you took time. I mean, you don't have to spend time coming to church. You saved all that time, right? So I hope that you spend some time with the Lord in prayer. I really do. I was in prayer on my face early this morning, praying for you. I hope you pray for me, by the way, every day. Folks, I'm serious. I need you to pray for me. To pray that God would give me the wisdom that I need. To help guide our church through these difficult days. I need God's wisdom to know what he'd have us to do and the opportunities. What, what doors are open and what doors are closed. I need wisdom. And I need you to pray for me. So please make it a daily habit. And when you bow your heads together as a family around the meal table. Remember to pray for the pastor. Ask God's hedge of protection and health, of course, but wisdom. I need God's wisdom. Well, people today can still find the will of God. Do you know what the will of God for your life is? You know something about the will of God is that it's not a one time bang. Here it is. Everything you need to know but it's like a book and each day has a new page in it. I've been following the will of God for my life for decades. And many of you have done the same each day. We turn a new page, Lord, what's on the agenda for today. And we need to seek the Lord, seek his face. You know, it's an interesting verse in Proverbs chapter eight and verse 17. Now it talks about wisdom but it's applicable. And I think it, it's, it's connected with the will of God, but it talks about wisdom. It says, I love them that love me. Here's wisdom personified as a person speaking. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. There's the promise of almighty God. If you seek God and his will and his wisdom and do it early, early in the day, early in your life, early in the week, early in the month, early in the year, do it early. You shall find that's a promise of God. So if you're not sure the will of God for your life, keep praying for those of you who have not yet put in a faith promise because you're not sure. Keep seeking the Lord. He'll show you if you keep seeking his face. Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? He'll show you. He will. All right. Back to the wise men. They aligned themselves with the will of God. Number two, they aligned themselves with the weariness of the journey. This was no 
cross the street, walk in the park journey for them. This was a major event for them, even for them. There were no forms of high speed travel. There were no paved highways, no comfortable coaches in which they could sit and recline. No, this was going to cost. This was going to be a journey folks, uh, costly and expensive. You see in chapter two and verse two, where they say, where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the East and are come. Those three words summarize their whole journey. Man, this was some journey. I'm telling you, this was some journey. It was a slow journey. It was a far away from home kind of journey. It involved having to pack all of their essentials that they would need for at least a month long one way trip. Yeah, you heard that right. It was like a month's journey to get from that Babylonian area all up over the fertile crescent down the mountainous ridge and down into Jerusalem. It took a month. It meant another month's journey all the way back home. So there's a minimum of two months of just journey, just journey for that short little time of being able to bow in the presence of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Sometimes Christians are willing to travel an hour, an hour and a half to get to work. And then an hour or an hour and a half to get back home. And they'll do this five times a week. And yet on Sunday to travel half an hour to get to church is too far. Why? What's wrong with that? If you find a good church, that's worth it. A good church family that you want to be part of. It's worth the journey. It's worth the journey. I think I told you the joke about uh, this farm boy and you know, he grew up on a farm there and as like every young man, he was looking to find a young lady and he actually found two. He found two nice young ladies and he found one that was just about a mile down the road. And then he found another one that was five miles down the road. Now the girl five miles down the road, he really liked that girl better than he liked the girl one mile down the road. He, he loved the girl five miles down the road more than he loved the girl one mile down the road. But he was always going to see the girl that was only one mile down the road. And a buddy of his asked him one day, Hey friend, you love that other girl far more, but you never go to see her. You only go to see this, this girl one mile down the road. Why is that? And he said, well, it's too hard on the horses to go five miles. That's why. Now that's a dumb excuse, isn't it? Hey, don't be afraid of traveling a little distance to get to church. Hmm? If it's worthwhile, these wise men, they traveled one month to get to Jesus. And then one month back home. Boy, that's quite a journey. If you ask me, you see, 
It also meant making all the necessary arrangements back home to be away for two months. If you're going away for a week, you make certain arrangements. If you're going away for a month, the arrangements go way up. How about two months? You got to make all these arrangements and they had to do all of this. It meant also long, long hours of sitting on a camel. Have you ever been on a camel? I've been on a camel once. My wife and I, when we were in Jerusalem, we, we got on the camel and the camel's rear end goes up first, which means that you go forward and they tell you, hold on. Whoa. And I'm going forward like this. And then all the way back like this. And then finally you're up and it's a far way down to the ground there. You're looking up pretty high, but it was, it was an interesting ride and ka-clump, ka-clump. It was, we went to the end of the parking lot and came back. That was, that was what $20 bought me. $40, my wife and I, to go to the, to the end of the parking lot and come back. But we got to say, we rode on a camel. Can you imagine on a camel for one month, one way, and then one month back? Well, that's what they were in for. Also, the route they traveled was known to have thieves. So they had to take along probably extra men to protect themselves somehow. And then, of course, there were the unseen dangers of dealing with that weirdo, that tyrant king, Herod. Unseen dangers that they weren't even aware of. And what I'm saying is, is this, these wise men, they aligned themselves with the weariness of the journey, but they endured the weariness of the journey because they were remembering who they were going to see and who they were journeying for. Were they the only ones in the Bible who've ever suffered weariness of a journey? No, of course not. Abraham. Abraham was called upon to make a similar journey one way. He wasn't going back. Called upon to leave Ur the Chaldees and to journey to the promised land. And if you'll remember also another night, well, actually it was three nights, wasn't it? A journey where he had to take his son Isaac and offer him up on Mount Moriah. Three day journey. That means three nights by the campfire, looking at his son sleeping there and thinking, I can't believe this, but it's the will of God. And he followed through. Boy, those must have been three of sleepless nights for Abraham, I think. But he endured it. He put up with the weariness of it. I think of Joseph, who had to endure years of weariness when he was sold by his brothers to the nomads who sold him to the Egyptians. And he was a slave there for years. I think of the children of Israel who were called upon to endure a weariness journey of 40 years in the wilderness. I think of King David before he was king and he had to endure the years of weariness running for his life from King Saul. And even Mary and Joseph had to endure weariness of a long journey. And she was ready to give birth. She was ready to give birth to Jesus. And then afterwards, after in fact, all of this sort of thing happened here in Matthew chapter two, they had to endure another weary journey to escape and flee down into Egypt. And then to come back after they heard that Herod was dead. And of course the apostle Paul, the apostle Paul had to endure much weariness in his journeys for Jesus as a missionary throughout the Roman world, listen to what he says in second Corinthians chapter 11, 
of the Jews. Five times received I 40 stripes, save one thrice. Was I beaten with rods? Once was I stoned thrice. I suffered shipwreck a night and a day. I have been in the deep in journeyings, often in perils of waters in perils of robbers in perils by mine own countrymen in perils by the heathen in perils in the city in perils in the wilderness in perils in the sea in perils among false brethren in weariness and painfulness in watchings often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Wow. Even Christians everywhere are called upon at times to endure seasons of weariness and heaviness. Acts 14, 22, that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Second Timothy three twelve. Yea, And all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the apostle Peter admonished the, the Christians by saying in first Peter chapter four, verse 12, beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Was it all weariness? Is it all difficulty? And the answer is no. Praise the Lord. No, there's only seasons of it. In all fairness and in all honesty, it wasn't all weariness. It wasn't all difficulty for the wise men. Because the wise men had their moments of glory. The wise men would have shared the fellowship of many a campfire beneath the starry sky, gazing at that star that they were called upon to to follow and taking them to their destination and talking amongst themselves and and saying, well, the first thing I'm going to do when I see this new king is, and they would have had some wonderful times together. And that brings us to the final alignment in our story. We've had the alignment with the will of God, the alignment with the weariness of the journey. And now the alignment with the worship of Jesus Christ. Chapter two, verse two of Matthew. Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the East and are come to worship him. And did they? Just look at verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Maybe we'll talk more about those in the coming days. When the wise men finally arrived at their destination, I think their hearts were exploding with joy. They were thrilled. I'm sure they couldn't get down off those camels fast enough. They must have said to themselves, it's taken us a month and I've got saddle sores and my bones are aching and I'm hungry, but it's been worth it all. We have arrived. We are here. We are about to enter into the presence of the new king. I am sure that their hearts were beside themselves with joy. And there in the presence of Jesus Christ, we read in scripture, they bowed, they worshiped, and they presented him gifts. I'm telling you today, the worship of Jesus Christ is absolutely proper. And it's absolutely important. 
And it's absolutely more valuable than anything else you can give him. Even your faith promise, even your faith promise. Worship is so important. If it comes from the heart, if it's a true, true worship, it's more valuable than silver or gold. Psalm 45, 11. So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty for he is thy Lord and worship thou him. Psalm 99 verse five, exalt ye the Lord, our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy. Psalm 99 verse nine, exalt the Lord, our God and worship at his holy hill for the Lord. Our God is holy. I wonder if other people worship Jesus Christ. Well, the answer is yes. The leper who was healed by Jesus came and worshiped him in Matthew chapter eight, verse two, a ruler whose son Jesus healed came and worshiped Jesus in Matthew nine eighteen. When the disciples saw Jesus walk on the water, they worshiped him. Matthew fourteen thirty three. the Canaanite woman whose demon possessed daughter, Jesus healed came and worshiped Jesus. Matthew 15 and verse 25 and the blind man whom Jesus healed came and worshiped him in Matthew. I'm sorry. In John chapter nine and verse 38. All right, folks, where do we stand? You and me, how does all this apply to us? Where do we stand in all of this? And the answer is very simple. Number one, all of us, we all need to do the will of God. We must align ourselves with the will of God. And folks, remember we can do that. I suggest you keep on studying your Bible. Don't just zip, zip, zip through it. So you can check something off on a monthly reading chart, but actually study what it is that you're reading. And Lord, how does this apply to my heart and look for how to be a pure and honest person and look for the will of God and look for instruction and look for warnings, study the Bible and see the will of God. Keep on earnestly praying and asking God Show me your will and listen for that still small voice to your heart. The voice of God speaking. This is the way walk ye in it. Keep on seeking to know the will of God for all of your life and keep on doing the will of God for all of your life. Number two, align yourself. We must all align ourselves and expect that there's going to be times of weariness along the way. God hasn't called us to recline in flowery beds of ease. Hmm? while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. There's going to be times when we're called upon to suffer and we need to align ourselves with this. We need to mark it down. We need to expect that there will be some times along the way where we're going to have to put up with weariness and I encourage you put up with the weariness of the trials and the tribulations. Hey, they happen to us all. There'll be times of sickness, times of stress. There'll be times of poverty, times of loneliness. There'll be times of being misunderstood. And how can we ever forget what we've just come through this 2020, this year of COVID-19 it's throwing us all for a loop, hasn't it? And it's caused our plans to be dashed. Even now we're approaching Christmas and we're wondering, will we be allowed to meet together as families? 
Will we have to wear masks and rubber gloves and go into our individual bedrooms and sit there and spend Christmas all by ourselves? We don't know what's going to happen, but blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Align yourself with the will of God. Align yourself with the weariness of the journey. And number three, all of us, we all must look forward to worshiping the King of Kings. We all must look forward to worshiping Jesus in heaven. One day, the weariness and the trials will come to an end. One day, the star that we've been carefully following all of a sudden will find us. One day we will arrive at our destination in heaven and we will bow before our King and we will worship Jesus. And hopefully, hopefully we'll all be able to present him some gifts in heaven, some rich crowns that we can lay at his feet. I hope with all my heart, you're working, serving the Lord So there'll be not just a crown for you, but stars in your crown. And you'll have something to lay at the feet of Jesus. Well, we need to finish up here. Why don't you pretend you're one of the wise men? (laughs) That would be a, a fun way to do it, wouldn't it? Pretend you're one of those wise men. Start to study to find the will of God. Begin today. Don't put it off. Start studying with all your heart to find out God's will for your life. And then begin to follow that will wherever it might lead you. For our dear sister Roman, it has led her back to Ethiopia where she is serving as a missionary. God may not be calling you to Ethiopia, but he's calling you to do something. Follow his will wherever it might lead you, knowing there'll be times of joy and times of sorrow. And number three, is don't wait till you get to heaven to worship the king. (laughs) You can do that. Hey, it's Christmas. You can do that now. You can worship the king all glorious above. You can worship Jesus in your heart and your soul and your mind. Now, in just a minute, we'll bow for prayer. But I do need to say this. Perhaps you're watching today and perhaps you have never met Jesus Christ. You know about him. You know others who seem to know Jesus. But perhaps you yourself have never yet actually met Jesus Christ. Well, that's a shame. But you can fix that. Let me tell you something. 46 years ago this month, December 1974, Pierre Trudeau was the prime minister. He was entering his third term as prime minister. That's Justin Trudeau's father. Gerald Ford was the president of America. And I was trying to find God. I was searching for God by reading the Bible. And then I started attending church services and I was still searching for God, reaching out Trying, praying, asking God, where are you? Finally, I came to realize 
My sin had separated me from God. This big gap was because of my sin. Number two, I realized that the father sent the son to die for my sins on the cross. That's why Jesus came to earth. That's why we celebrate Christmas, the nativity, because Jesus came to die for my sins and your sins on the cross. Number three, I needed to repent of my sins and accept the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and Savior. I did that April the 6th, 1975. Now for me, it took me four months searching till I found Jesus. Took the wise men one month to find Jesus. It took me four months to find Jesus. When I did, I opened my heart and I said, Lord Jesus, I am the sinner you died for. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Save my soul. Take me to heaven one day. And the Lord Jesus came into my heart. And it was about noon, about noon on Sunday, April the 6th, 1975, when I prayed that prayer and Jesus came into my heart. And if you're watching and you've never yet met Jesus, you can do the same thing and you can meet the same Jesus that I met. Now let's pray. Dear, wonderful heavenly father, we thank you so very much for allowing us time together we can study the word and we can make application to our hearts. Help all of your children, all of your people to align ourselves with your will and to align ourselves with the weariness of the journey between here and heaven and to align ourselves with the worship of Jesus when we see him. And dear father, if there be one watching who's not yet received Jesus, encourage them to do so today and then encourage them to send me a email and tell me and let me know. Please. We pray your blessing on this wonderful day in Jesus name. We pray. Amen.